We are currently in a series called God's Design for the Church, where we're looking at how God has structured his church. And as I mentioned last week, uh, we're heading in a direction of, of, of changing the way in which our church is structured and, and how it functions. And, and so through this series, we're looking at God's word and, and seeing what he has said. And it's our desire to follow the way that he has structured rather than follow the models that we see in the world, rather than do church just the way that we've always done it. We should always be striving to be more in line with the scriptures in the way that we function as a church, but also even in our own personal lives. All right, so hopefully you all are in Acts chapter 6. Let's read verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And now turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 to 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, or women, likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, right now we pray that you would remove any distraction. We also pray for ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. Through these portions of your word, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's travel back to A.D. 258 in ancient Rome. 
And it's only been eight years since Emperor Decius was seeking to get rid of everyone who refused to pledge allegiance to his sovereign rule. And many Christians were killed. And now a man named Lawrence, who is one of seven deacons in the church there in Rome, his task was to watch over the church's money and distributions to the poor. He finds out in August, horrible news. Decius's successor, Valerian, issues an edict for all bishops, priests, and deacons to be rounded up and killed. After some time, Lawrence is taken before the emperor and given an offer. Surrender the treasure of the church and you will be freed. And so the deacon agrees. He only requests three days to retrieve it. He leaves the court and wastes no time. He entrusts the church's money to safe hands and then gathers the sick, the aged, the poor, the widowed, and the orphaned. And he returns to the court along with these people. And the magistrate demands an explanation. And Lawrence responds, Sir, I have brought what you are looking for. Then he pointed to the people, and he declared, These are the treasures of the church. And after this, Lawrence is sentenced to a martyr's death. And as the deacon was being burned alive, he sarcastically says to his executioners, you may turn me over, I'm done on this side. Lawrence's profound courage in the midst of impending death made a great impression on the people of Rome and led to many conversions. Friends, deacons, are the real deal. Deacons are the real deal. They're not a lower class church office. They are necessary and important in the local church. And I'm excited to talk to you this morning about what a deacon served church is like. And now the Bible doesn't say a lot about deacons. And so it's extremely important to pay careful attention to everything the Bible says about them. Deaconing is not training wheels before eldering. It's a completely different office with completely different responsibilities and completely different gifts required. A deacon is far more than someone who knows their way around Home Depot. And my goal in teaching on deacons this morning is that we would, as a church, restore deacons to their irreplaceable and needed role within our church. In this sermon, we will look at the origin of deacons, the qualifications for deacons, and the responsibilities of deacons. And the main point, what I hope you leave here knowing is this, deacons serve the church by meeting physical needs, promoting unity, and supporting the ministry of the word. Deacons serve the church by meeting physical needs, promoting unity, 
and supporting the ministry of the word. While the office of elder is one of leadership focused on the spiritual needs of the church, the office of deacon is one of service focused on the physical needs of the church. And uh, I have to admit, we're going to discuss a lot this morning. And so my encouragement to all of you is to consume as much as you can, wrestle with it, and keep your Bibles open. I want you to see that this is from the Scriptures. The word deacon, or in Greek, diakonos, is used 29 times in the New Testament and normally means servant or helper. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, and 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and possibly Romans chapter 16, verse 1, we see the office of deacon mentioned. But before we go there, let's begin with the origin of deacons. And we see this in Acts chapter 6. And so when you open up the book of Acts, we see the beginning of the church. There were 120 people, about 120 people, gathered in prayer, waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes at Pentecost, the gospel is unleashed. Now, let me just stop here and say this. If you're here this morning and you don't know what the gospel is, or you have not believed in Jesus Christ, well, let me tell you what the gospel is, because that's going to be the most important thing I say all morning. Everyone in this room is a sinner. The Bible says that all fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And because we are all sinners, we deserve condemnation before God Almighty because he is holy and righteous. And yet, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And he died a sacrificial death in your place on the cross. And he rose again so that you would be forgiven and receive eternal life. And so the Bible says that if you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus as your only hope for salvation, you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. Amen, church? If you have any more questions about this, we'd love to talk to you personally, but also you can talk to any one of our members of the church. They would love to talk to you about the gospel. And that gospel is what these early Christians began to preach in the book of Acts. And if you continue reading the book of Acts, you start to see that the church continues to grow and to grow. And in Acts chapter 6, the church is getting bigger and, and, and more complex. More people equals more ministry and more problems. Right, we see a problem arise in Acts chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so as the church was growing, was increasing in number, an issue came up. The Greek-speaking Jewish widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food and goods. 
And in this time, widows were dependent on others for their daily needs. And and so in this passage, we see that the Greek-speaking widows are being overlooked in the church. And so this complaint is brought to the apostles. Look at verse 2. And the 12, the 12 apostles, summoned the full number of disciples. So they call a congregational meeting. This is the first members' meeting of the church. And they said to the church, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, so the problem, these Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked in the church. What's the solution? The conflict and, and growing pains of the church meant that they needed to make an adjustment, right? Healthy churches change. And so we see two things happen here. The apostles say, we can't do it all. And another group is chosen to serve the physical needs of the church. The apostles say, we can't do it all. We see that in verse 2. They say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, question, are the apostles lazy? Do they not care for the needs of the widows? Are they elevating spiritual ministry above uh, practical ministry? No, because if you slow down and see what's really happening here, you'll see that by prioritizing prayer and the ministry of the word, the apostles are choosing to stay focused on what God has called them to do, to stay focused on the spiritual needs of the church. And yet at the same time, we see them affirm that action needs to be taken in order to care for these widows. They cannot be involved in all the administrative duties in the church and still be able to focus on their primary calling. They needed to devote their best energy to shepherding the church by the means of teaching and prayer. And so the apostles say, we can't do it all. And so another group is chosen to serve the physical needs of the church. This distribution of food was important because it threatened to divide the church. And so the apostles turn to the church. They get the whole congregation involved. Instead of just picking seven men themselves, they tell the church to pick out seven men from among them. This is a great text for the argument of being a congregationally governed church. I'll cover more about that next week, but while we do have elders who do lead and bear responsibility and have authority, ultimately, the congregation is the last and, and final authority. The elders don't get to just decide things in back rooms, and the congregation has to just go along with it. The congregation has the responsibility of voting or agreeing or affirming certain things. Let me be clear, not everything, certain things. And biblically, we see it as they vote on leadership. Who, who's going to occupy the office of elder and deacon? We see that here in Acts 6. The apostles ask the congregation, who are the seven? And then the apostles appoint them to the task. 
But the congregation votes on leadership. They also vote on membership, who's coming into the church, who's going out of the church. And then here at Calvary, we also vote on budget. That may not be biblically necessary, but it's God's money that we're pooling together. And so it's important for everyone to know how we're going to steward it and for everyone to be on the same page. So some may ask, why include members of a church to vote on these things when some of them may be brand new converts and may be less spiritually mature than the leaders? Well, for one, these church members are saved, right? Through their trust in Christ, God's spirit resides in them. They're qualified to pass judgment on Christ's church because they have his spirit. And then second, these believers are directly invested in the outcome of their church. This is their church. All right, so the apostles tell the church to pick seven men. But not just seven men. Seven men of good repute. They're respectable They're known for their character. Their their godliness, their Christ-likeness is evident to others. They're full of the Spirit, which means that they're controlled and influenced by the Spirit. They understand their own weaknesses and daily are relying on God, the Holy Spirit. And they're full of wisdom. Not everybody has the same amount of wisdom. Some of us need to ask God for more wisdom. Deacons are going to need a lot of wisdom as they carry out their tasks in the church. They have to be able to look at problems, diagnose what's going wrong, and then figure out solutions. And so looking at even at these three qualifications, these seven men who were chosen were not just whoever was around and was willing to do it. These were quality servants. Alexander Strouch comments, the the congregation chose its best to care for its least. The apostles don't minimize the need of the widows, and their solution is that another group should serve in this way. Rather than getting distracted from their main task of ministry in the word and prayer, the apostles, along with the church, choose men to serve in a new office. And they serve the physical needs of the church. And all throughout the the history of the church, what's happening here in Acts 6 has been considered the, the prototype or the beginning of deacon ministry. That noun used for distribution in verse 1, and the verb used to serve in verse 2, both are from the Greek word that we get our word deacon, diakonos. Deacons are established to meet the practical needs of the congregation. Now here in Acts 6, those practical needs are met by seven men who are set apart to be deacons of distribution or deacons of widow care. It's also significant. Did you notice that the seven men who were selected for this duty, their names? They're Greek names. Greek widows are being overlooked, and Greek men are being set apart to serve them. So not only are they godly and full of the Spirit, they're gifted for the specific task and the need. 
And I love how verse 5 says that this pleased the whole gathering. This is the most overlooked miracle in the book of Acts. The congregation all agreed on something. (laughs) Verse 6, they lay hands on them and then set them apart for service. And then what is the result of all of this? Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What an outcome. But that joy in verse 7 doesn't come without the work of verses 2 to 6. Acts 6 is a story of Church conflict handled well. Crisis averted. The apostles were not sidetracked from what God had called them to do. There was greater unity within the church. And what resulted in this is the word of God increasing. More disciples, more obedience. A deacon's work is often not seen, but its effect is profound. The work of deacons, while they may be focused on the physical needs of the church, has great spiritual implications. As Matt Smethurst says, the Bible's view of deacons is glorious. So we have seen the origin of the office of deacon in Acts 6. There was a need. People were set apart to meet that need. And it's not just anyone. There were qualifications. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13, we see the biblical qualifications for the office of deacon. And so turn to, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Just like the qualifications we saw last week for the office of elder, the qualifications for deacon are more focused on character rather than gifting. And so if you want to find a qualified deacon... Don't look at his garage and see how many tools he has. If you want to find a qualified deacon, don't seek out someone who's competent in making Excel spreadsheets. First look at his attitude, his character, and his life. Does he crave status? Or does he just love serving people? Is he humble, or does he always insist on his own way? Thankfully, we don't have to improvise in looking for the qualifications for deacons. The Lord has graciously given us some in his word in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 8, Paul writes, deacons, likewise, must be dignified. So another way to say this is that they must be worthy of respect. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to be perfect, but that they're humble, that they're repentant and examples to the flock. And then Paul continues with three negatives and then three positives. Starting with the negative, he says, a deacon must not be double-tongued. Being double-tongued means to say one thing to someone and then another thing to someone else. Deacons shouldn't be hypocritical. They should say what they mean and mean what they say. 
Next, they, they shouldn't be addicted to too much wine. Anyone is disqualified in serving as a deacon if they live a lifestyle of drunkenness. It, it means that they don't have self-control. Qualified deacons will not abuse substances because they understand that that would hinder their work and their witness. They must not be greedy for dishonest gain or not greedy for money. A deacon cannot have a heart that is divided between God and money. They cannot love money because the nature of the diaconal work will sometimes put deacons in direct contact with the church's money. Next, we see in 1 Timothy 3.9 that a deacon must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The reference to the mystery of the faith is just another way that Paul spoke of the gospel. This qualification refers to the doctrinal beliefs of a deacon. Because of the practical focus of a deacon's work, we would assume that they don't really need to know much doctrine, but that's not what we see here. It's true that the elders are the primary teachers and, and leaders of the church, but deacons aren't exempt from knowing their Bibles. In fact, they will often be in situations where they will have an opportunity to speak biblical truth. A deacon must be able to explain the main points of the gospel. How else will they be able to point others to Jesus as they serve? Paul says that they must hold to these truths with a clear conscience. That means a deacon's life and conscience must conform to the faith that they profess. And so anyone who is embarrassed by biblical truths that conflict with current cultural beliefs is not qualified to be a deacon. This is an important qualification because deacons will often find themselves in situations where they must apply the truths of their faith to their ministries or the people that they serve. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They also must be tested and proven blameless. There should be a season of testing. Putting someone in a church office quickly is unwise and unbiblical. At least three steps should occur before someone becomes a deacon of this church. First, the elders should discuss whether that person is actually a qualified candidate. And then if they are, then their background and their reputation and theological positions should be examined. And then that person should be nominated in a members meeting where the church is encouraged to take a month to consider the fitness of that person for the office. And it allows the congregation to be able to give the, the elders personal, private feedback that may be helpful in determining if that person is fit. All of this should happen before the congregation formally votes to install that person as a deacon. But if they prove themselves to be blameless, then they should be able to serve as deacons. Now, verse 11, where some of the debate has come up regarding deacons. Verse 11 says, Their wives, or women, likewise must be dignified not slanderers, but sober-minded, 
faithful in all things. So the question that often comes up when discussing deacons is, can women serve as deacons in the local church? Now, before anyone jumps to conclusions, I want to say that I believe that the office of pastor, elder, overseer is reserved only for men. Not all men, only qualified and called men. The New Testament is explicitly clear on that. But I do think that when it comes to the office of deacon, there are good arguments on both sides. So does Paul mean in verse 11, deacons' wives or women serving as deacons? So the English Standard Version, the one that I'm actually reading from, translates this verse as their wives. But that modifier there, their, is actually not in the original. So that should go away. Sorry, ESV, but you're wrong. The Christian Standard Bible says wives. And the New American Standard Bible, which is the most literal of the three, says women. Why would Paul include a reference to women in a passage about deacons? Well, some believe, including myself, that Paul is implying that these are not wives, but women deacons or deaconesses. Like I said, there are good arguments on both sides that go deep into the Greek use of the word guenekos, and that could either mean wives or women. There's good arguments on how the passage is structured. Um, and then also some people see Phoebe from Romans chapter 16, who is described as a servant of the church at Sencria. Some people see her as just a servant. And then others see her as someone who is in the office of deacon because she's listed as a servant or a deacon of a certain church. Some say that the lack of any reference to the wives of elders makes it unlikely that this verse is referring to the wives of deacons. Why would the wives of deacons be singled out? The argument back to that is the reason why the wives of deacons are mentioned but no wives of elders is explained by their different roles. Sometimes while meeting the needs of women in the church, the deacons' wives would serve alongside them. And so it would be important that their wives meet certain character qualifications as well. But if Paul really meant wives of deacons, he would have used those words. But instead, he uses the general word for women or wives. Some argue that women cannot be deacons because the role of a deacon includes a position of authority. And because Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, then this must mean because deacons take on a practical level of authority, women are not allowed to be deacons. But most likely, the type of teaching and authority that the Apostle Paul was talking about in that verse is only in reference to the responsibility of the elders and not deacons. There is no qualification in which deacons need to be able to teach. And deacons are servants of the church, not leaders. We never read a verse that says, be subject to the deacons or obey your deacons and submit to them. The office of deacon is not an office of spiritual authority. And so I believe that it's open 
to qualified women. Now, it got really quiet in the room here. Some of you uh, may, may need some, some extra help. Uh, so so uh, church history considerations. Because I'd assume that this may be new to you coming from this young Baptist pastor. If you go all the way back in church history, if you read Clement or Origen or John Calvin or even Charles Spurgeon, they all attest to and advocate for women serving as deacons where male elders are established and there is a clarity between the role of an elder and a deacon. So church history, even our confession of faith, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 says the two scriptural offices in the church are that of pastor, elder, overseer, and deacon. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor, elder, overseer is limited to men as qualified by scripture. But there is no comment on the gender qualifications for a deacon. Remember that the primary focus of deacon ministry is focused on service and administrative tasks, primarily related to the physical needs of the church, which allows the pastors and elders to fully devote themselves to the spiritual needs of the church. And so this is why if you were to ask me the question, can women serve as deacons in the church? I would say, I think women can serve as deacons when the role of elder and deacons are clarified and where the church has elders that are men who are qualified. But in many Baptist churches, deacons serve as quasi-elders or a board of directors that blurs that line between elders and deacons. And in these cases, women should not serve as deacons. So... Can women be deacons? Your answer must be shaped by the word of God. Wherever you land on this issue, I think this is a matter that the church has to decide as a whole. And I imagine that there are people in this room who are on both sides of the issue. Regardless of where you stand on the issue, though, women or wives, what we can say from the text here is that they should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, and faithful in everything. And then you go to verse 12, where Paul focuses on male deacons. As husbands of one wife, he is a one-woman man. There is no other woman in his life in which he relates to intimately, whether emotionally or physically. And then they also must be able to manage their children and their own households well. But also notice when referring to deacons, Paul omits the section where he compares managing one's household to taking care of the church like he does in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. The reason for that omission is that deacons are not given a leading position in the church like elders are. And then you have verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. These are the qualifications of a deacon. Now the responsibilities of deacons. 
The New Testament does not provide much information regarding the responsibilities of deacons, but what we do see in the New Testament uh, allows us to be able to come up with some conclusions. We see that the office of deacon recognizes and meets tangible needs, protects and promotes church unity, and serves and supports the ministry of the elders. As we have seen in Acts chapter 6, those who were chosen by the church were chosen and appointed to meet a certain need. A deacon should be skilled in recognizing the practical needs of the church and then responding to it immediately. Now, I highly doubt that the the seven men chosen in Acts chapter 6 were the only ones serving those Greek-speaking widows. They were the ones assigned to the task. But more than likely, they gathered other members around them to help serve. And so deacons don't meet the needs themselves, but they facilitate opportunities for the congregation to serve. Without deacons who do this, the elders will be distracted by the practical demands of ministry. And so when we're considering future deacons, we should be on the lookout for godly saints who meet needs before they're even asked. A member who is flaky and never returns emails or always needs to be told what to do is not a good fit for this office. A deacon is reliable and seeks to meet the physical needs of the church. Another thing that the deacons do is that they protect and promote church unity. When we think about what happened in in Acts 6, yes, the Greek-speaking widows were were served and their needs were met, but also the neglect of the widows was most likely causing a spiritual disunity within the body. And these men stepped in to serve tables and a need was met and unity was restored. Deacons help preserve the unity of the church. Pastor Mark Dever calls deacons, the shock absorbers of the church. He says, you don't want people serving as deacons who are unhappy with your church. The deacons should never be the ones who complain the loudest. You don't want to nominate deacons who don't recognize the importance of the ministry of preaching and teaching, but people who are anxious to protect it. A deacon is someone who protects and promotes church unity And then thirdly, deacons serve and support the ministry of the word. Remember, the office of deacon originated when there was a great need in the church and the ministry of the word and prayer needed to be protected. Deacons supported the teachers of the word in their ministry. And so because of this, deacons should not serve as another deliberate body of leadership in the church. Deacons should serve as assistants to the elders. They operate under the leadership of the elders because many needs will arise in the church that that could distract the elders from what they're called to do. And so the elders will then ask the deacons to meet those needs. And so you could say it like this. Elders lead the ministry. Deacons facilitate the ministry and the congregation does the work of ministry. Meeting tangible needs, promoting church unity, and assisting the elders are the roles of the office of 
deacon. Deacon literally means servant. But let me clarify this. This does not make the deacons a lesser office. It just makes the office of deacon a different office. Even though deacons are not the congregation's spiritual leaders, their character is extremely important, which is why we see that deacons should be examined and held to the biblical qualifications that we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And if we look at Acts 6, it's best to look at deacons as those who do whatever is necessary to allow the elders to focus on what God has called them to do and to allow the congregation to flourish. And as a result, each church should define the tasks of deacons based on particular needs. So here are some examples of what responsibilities in our church could look like. There could be a deacon of widows and senior care. There could be a deacon of facilities and church ordinances, a deacon of welcome and visitors, of set up for events, a deacon of benevolence, deacon of finances, of safety and security, a deacon of technology. The deacons serve the church by focusing on the physical needs of the church. And so as we end, here are some encouragements. Making sure that there's a distinction between elders and deacons will bring clarity to ministry. Making sure there's a distinction between elders and deacons will bring clarity to ministry. Calvary, this church began with a single pastor, and then the deacons eventually began to serve as somewhat elders slash deacons. In other words, the deacons would serve in two roles. Like biblical elders, they would be involved in directional decisions, doctrinal and, and discipline issues. But then also like biblical deacons, they would be involved in serving the physical needs of the church. Now I will say this, I have heard horror stories of churches that function that way. But here at Calvary, that is not the case. To the deacons of this church, men, you have served this church so well. Thank you. However, I think there is wisdom in considering the distinction in these two roles moving forward. Most importantly, because it's biblical, we see this clearly in the word. And there's too much involved in, in, in each of those roles that no one should be asked or required to do both. Because either the ministry of the word or the practical care of the members will suffer. There is a reason God gave us two different roles. Deacons are servants by definition. Making sure there is a distinction between elders and deacons will bring clarity to ministry. And also, a distinction between elders and deacons enables effective ministry. Able and qualified deacons are essential to the health of the church. Deacons serve the congregation and allow the elders to focus on the doctrine and the discipline and the direction. Deacons promote and protect the unity of the church 
and remember the result of those seven men being appointed as prototype deacons in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, because those deacons served the physical and administrative needs of the body, the unity of the church was preserved, and the apostles continued to preach the word, and the Great Commission advanced. So who in this church would like to see the word spread and the number of disciples increased and many people become obedient to the faith? An effective deacon ministry led to this in the past. And Lord willing, it will lead to it in our day. This is God's design for the church. The structure is important. Having clarity on this is important. This is a beautiful, God-given design for the church to flourish. Now, some may say, well, according to the world's standards, being a deacon or a servant may seem unattractive or boring. Our world doesn't admire servants, but our Savior does. And humble service reflects and points to the servant nature of Jesus. In Matthew 23, Jesus tells us that the greatest among us will be the servants. He says those who humble themselves will be exalted. Deacons serve the church by meeting physical needs, promoting unity, and supporting the ministry of the word. They encourage us, they inspire us, and serve us. They are great examples of Christianity in action. And as we consider the roles and responsibilities of deacons, this service-oriented office points us to Jesus, the great deacon, the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus extends his kindness and mercy and compassion towards undeserving sinners like us. Deacons reflect the Savior who took the ultimate initiative to meet our deepest need. Thank the Lord for deacons and church look to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Help us as we consider a new structure for our church. I pray that as we focus on what you say in your word, that you would lead us, give us wisdom, and bring us to a place of greater health 
and unity. I pray that even if we're not considering becoming an elder or deacon, that those character qualifications remind us of how you have called each and every one of us to live. Help us to grow in our service toward one another. And we do pray for our current deacons and for future deacons, that they would serve our church in a way that meets needs, promotes unity, and protects the ministry of the word and prayer. We thank you for Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve us and to give his life as a ransom for many. We pray in his name. Amen.